Good singing, everybody. Good singing. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you guys here. My name's Josh. I'm the preaching pastor here. And uh, if this is your first time, welcome to church. We are in Matthew 14 this morning. So if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 14. And as you're doing that, we are going to read verses 13 through 21 together. And as you're turning there, I just wanted to give you a little challenge, a little evangelistic challenge from your pastor here. So there's all these little handheld, hand, hand-sized Easter flyers. Somewhere around you, there should be one or two of these, okay? I want you to take a challenge for Easter. I want you to take one of these flyers, just one, and I want you to give one to someone who doesn't know Jesus. Would you do that? That's your challenge for Easter. Give it to one person who does not know Jesus or doesn't have a church and say, hey, I'd like you to come to church with me for Easter to hear about Jesus. Okay? That's your challenge. Now, you might be saying, well, I wanted to put it on my refrigerator. You can. There's more of these. You can put it on your refrigerator. But take one and give one because I think... Uh, you know, nobody's asking you to be Billy Graham out there. I just want you to just share one with someone who doesn't know Christ that God has put on your heart to say, would you come with me to Easter and hear about Jesus? Okay? Sound good? Okay. Easter is just four weeks away and we are going to celebrate and we're going to sing and worship and I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. But uh, it's just four weeks away. Uh, Praise God. All right. Matthew 14. We're starting in verse 13. We're reading through verse 21. Starting in verse 13. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Then he went ashore. He saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Praise God for the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's pray. Father, what an awesome passage of scripture to read. Lord, what a great God you are to us, gracious and merciful, glorious and full of power, and you love your son, Jesus. And Lord, we love Jesus as well. And we thank you for this story of the feeding of the 5,000. This account is so powerful to our hearts. Lord, would you please make it change us? I pray for every Christian that you would cause the word to have a growing effect. 
in their mind. And Lord, for those who don't know Jesus, may this be the morning you show your compassion to them and save them from their sins. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we continue our sermon series, The Countdown to Easter, and we have been marching through the Gospel of Matthew progressively. And this morning's sermon is Table for 5,000. That's the name of the sermon this morning, the title, Table for 5,000. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 is perhaps Jesus' most famous miracle. Most of you have probably heard of the feeding of the 5,000. It's a very important miracle because it's one of the only miracles that is in all the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all have this account, this miracle story. And here's the reality. This is the pinnacle of Jesus' ministry. So if you're looking at the, as the pinnacle, uh, Jesus' height of influence, his height of popularity, his height of followership, all right, this would be where Jesus is peaking. So if Jesus is on social media, this is, he's, he's peaking with followers at this moment, at the feeding of the 5,000. And praise God we didn't have social media back then, right, to, to make that whole thing just a mess. But Jesus is at his highest levels ever of popularity. And so the feeding of the 5,000 is just this amazing moment of divine power. In the moment, the crowd that is a part of this miracle, they love Jesus so much because he filled their bellies up with food that they wanted to force him to be the king of Israel. And Jesus wasn't about to let that happen because he knew it wasn't his time yet. So in John chapter 6, verse 15, it reads like this, Perceiving then that they were about ready to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So the crowd is so enthusiastic about Jesus in this passage, they are going to force him into kingship. Like, you have got to be the one that's going to free us from Roman oppression and change the whole world. And by the way, everybody likes free food, right? Everybody likes free food. You're giving free food out. I'm a part of this kingdom. You know, I want to be a part of this. You've got to be my king. And Jesus knew that it wasn't the right timing. It wasn't the right motivation. And Jesus is marching to the cross. And he knows that. So he's, he's not allowing himself to be crowned as king. So there's a lot of different powerful elements at work in the feeding of the 5,000. Lots of just amazing parts to it. But I want to just point out three this morning, and that's the big idea. Jesus is setting the table for 5,000, and he's doing it by feeling compassion. So he feels the compassion for the people that are there. He produces dependence. He produces it in the people. He, he makes everybody super dependent upon him. And then he displays his divine power, obviously changing five barley loaves and two fish into enough food to feed this massive crowd. So as we work through this miracle together as a church this morning, I want you to see a couple things. The purpose of the miracle is not... For us to bring up Pastor Chad with two donuts and let him start working his magic, right? Like, like we did have a donut crisis this morning. We didn't know where we were going to get our donuts. And I'm like, well, maybe we could just bring two donuts on stage, let Pastor Chad pray to heaven, 
and then just start doing his thing, right? And kind of get a donut, amen, right? Like that wouldn't have worked out very well. But the point is not that we would just like start multiplying food out into our own lives. That's not it. The point of the feeding of the 5,000 is for us to see Jesus and believe in him. That's the whole point. To see him and then just be captivated by him and believe in him more than we ever have in our life. So here's some questions that I think the text answers. But here are some of the questions that are begging to be asked as we look at the feeding of the 5,000. Number one, does Jesus understand me? Does he understand me? Does he understand my life? Some of you are asking that question right, how, right here and right now this morning. Does Jesus really understand everything I'm going through? Because I'm not sure that he does. That's a question that I think the text answers. Secondly, do I understand Jesus? Do I even care about Jesus? Like, what about his will, his kingdom, his stuff? What's going on in his life? Um, another good question might be this one. Will I obey Jesus? Even when I feel weak and things don't make sense to me. I wonder if we did a survey this morning of this crowd, how many people would say, I feel weak. I feel totally weak. I don't understand. Things don't make sense. How am I going to continue to obey Jesus when it doesn't seem to be working out? What about this question? Does Jesus have power to provide for me? Some of you are probably asking that question this morning about provision. Does Jesus have the power to provide? I mean, I got some pretty big needs. I got some pretty big financial needs. I got some pretty big relational needs. I got some spiritual needs. Does Jesus, can he provide for me? Does he have that power? So this morning, we're going to look at this this account of the feeding of the 5,000. And we're going to see three truths that are really important for us. Truth number one is this, that Jesus felt compassion. Jesus felt compassion. Verse 13 and 14. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. So when Jesus heard this, that word this is a reference to John the Baptist. John the Baptist had just died earlier in chapter 14. And so when Jesus heard the news that John, his beloved friend, his cousin, the forerunner to his ministry was dead, he needed some space. He needed to go grieve. He needed time alone. Many of you can relate. When someone has died near to you relationally, you need space. You need time to grieve. You need silence. You need meditation. Jesus was just looking for some quiet time because he was hurt. John meant a lot to him. And now his ministry would go from super popular to this crescendo. And then he knows that it's downhill from here and it's the hard march to the cross that is ahead of him. He needed quiet time. What's the problem in this passage? Well, the crowd's not giving him any quiet time. The crowd doesn't care about Jesus. The crowd doesn't care what is going on with Jesus. They just have some healings that they need. They have some desires that they need met. So they follow him on foot. They don't give him time to grieve. That's super rude. Amen. How many times is that us? 
We don't care about Jesus. We just care about what we want. I have a need, Lord. I need you to answer my need right now. I have this healing that I need. I have this provision that I need. I have this thing that I need. My family's in crisis. I need this. I need that. And sometimes we are just like that crowd, are we not? And we just tell Jesus, this is what my needs are. I don't really care about your kingdom and your will. I just want my stuff. Man. But Jesus was feeling the weight of that. The weight of John's death. The pressing crowds. The people were in need of healing. And, and, and you know, what's Jesus going to do? I mean, that's really kind of the, the, the building tension here. What's Christ going to do with all these people that are coming to him? What's he going to do? I know what I would do. I would be angry and I'd be frustrated. Can I get an angry amen? You know? Like some of you are like, hey, I, I would be angry. I'd be like, look, I need some quiet time. Like, you need to stop following me around. I need to process my stuff. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you parents said that to your kids this week. Amen? Come on. Give me a parent. Amen. You know. You know what you've been like this week. I just need some quiet time. We would react with anger and frustration. How does Jesus respond? Verse 14, he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. See, he put their needs above his. Jesus put their needs above his own. Everything within him had the right to say, I get this time. But Jesus, being the amazing selfless Savior that he is, he puts the needs of the crowds above his own needs. You're never more like Jesus than when you put the needs of others in front of your own. Some of you need to get a grip with Jesus living here. Some of you are upset and you are mentally not in a good space because you think everybody should serve you all the time. The reality of the gospel is that we are never more like Christ when we change our mindset to say it's more blessed to give than receive. Let me stop my schedule right now so I can be a part of your schedule. That's Christ-likeness. Jesus had compassion. Instead of feeling anger and annoyance, he had compassion. Now, that word for compassion is really interesting. That word means intestines. And all God's people said, say what? That word means gut. You know, have you ever heard that phrase? I had a gut level reaction to that thing. I just knew in my gut that that was wrong or that was right. You know what I'm saying? That's this word. This word is I knew in my gut, deep inside me, I knew that was wrong or I knew that was right. Jesus, deep in his being, said, deep down, I know that I feel for these people. I see where they're at. I see their struggle and I feel it. I must have compassion on them. Can I tell you, there are people like that in your life that God is leading you to where you see their situation and you feel it. And I'm just going to say amen and yes to that. When you feel that as a believer in Jesus, do something about it. Amen? Do something about it. When you feel compassion for someone, spend time with them. Make time for them. Open your heart to them. Do something for them. I know I still feel that way about our community. I still feel it. I look around and, and, and the things that happen in our community, they don't repel me, they attract me. I'm weird like that, right? 
And I want a whole church that's weird like that. Like we feel the compassion for people who don't know Christ. And even though they are completely unaware of what they need, we, we know what they need. Jesus knew what they needed. They needed compassion. So that compassion led to a full day of healing. That's a lot he was doing for thousands of people. He was healing the sick. So does Jesus understand me? Does he understand what's going on with me? The answer is yes. Amen? He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows exactly what you're walking through, and he has compassion on you. Now, now this is just really interesting to me because Jesus' compassion is for the people, and most of those people are just thrill seekers. It's like a roller coaster. Jesus is a fun roller coaster. He's fun. I like what he gives me. This is amazing. All they wanted to see was some healings, most of them. And Jesus wasn't like, ah, I know your heart. You're disingenuous. I'm not spending time with you. Jesus says, I know your heart that you don't really care, but I'm going to show compassion on you anyway. Why does Jesus do that? Because he knows the end. Jesus can see eternity coming, and he knows that if these people don't turn from their sin and believe in him, they will spend eternity in hell. Jesus shows compassion in order to lead people to repentance. That's so different than our culture today. Our culture is so messed up. Can I get an amen? We are so messed up. Our culture is losing our minds sexually. Our sexual ethic in this culture is crazy. Our ethics about lots of things are just going really fast in a non-biblical direction. Okay? If you weren't paying attention. That's what's happening out there. And here's the mistake that many Christians are making. Perhaps you're making it as a Christian. Many Christians are showing compassion with the goal of affirmation. What I mean by that is you're showing compassion to affirm whatever you see in front of you. And you think that that is kindness. You think that that is compassion. I just want to show you that is the opposite of what Jesus is doing here. Our culture is just like, whatever, whatever the ethic is, we're fine with it. We're Christians. We should all just be loving and gracious no matter what people are saying. That's wrong. Jesus is saying, I'm showing you compassion because life is short. And if you don't know Christ, you will spend eternity in hell. We as Christians show compassion not to affirm what everybody's doing. We show compassion in order that people might meet Jesus. We have to lead people to repentance. Our compassion is built on a fundamentally different understanding than the world. Our compassion is built on this view of eternity that to die is to experience the judgment of God. And if you don't know Christ, you're going to hell. That's what the Bible says. So therefore, we got to lead as many people to heaven as possible. So our compassion has a goal. That's what Jesus is doing. He's spending time with this crowd, not because they were worthy, but because he was rich in mercy and he knew the shortness of the hour. Truth number two is this, that Jesus not only felt compassion, but he produced dependence. He produced dependence, verses 15 through 17. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away. Come and go to the village. They can buy food. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. We only have five loaves and two fish. Okay, so this is amazing. What a scene. 
the disciples come up to Jesus and say, Lord, hey, you know, it has been a full day. Whoo! Healing all day. Congratulations on all the people you have healed today, God. This is amazing. Thanks for letting us be a part of it. Um, it's 3 to 6 p.m. Logic is kicking in. Uh, we got 15,000 people here. And we need to just let them go home to the markets. Before the markets close, they can pay for their own meal. Um, Chick-fil-A is still open, I think. Let's get them there. Take care of them. Right? So the logic is kicking in. Let's, and they say, send the crowds away. Send them away, Lord. Just get them out of here. We are trying to avoid a crisis moment. Send them away. The word send is emphatic in the Greek. So literally, it was like the disciples telling Jesus, commanding Jesus, send them away. You want a bad idea? Try to command Jesus to do something. Amen? You guys all learn in your Christian life, you don't do that. But, but sometimes we try to do that. Send them away, Lord. Why? Because logically, this is my logic, and we should get them all to pay for their own supper. Makes sense, right? The, the send is emphatic. Now, the crowd had swelled, right? So we have 5,000 men. We have at least 5,000 women, at least. I think there's probably more like seven or 8,000 women there. And then if everybody just had one child, you have at least 5,000 children there. And I would guess there's probably a little bit more than one child per family out there. So you got two or three kids out there. You got a family out there experiencing the healing ministry of Jesus. So some estimates are anywhere between 15 and 25,000 people out there on this grassy hill in Galilee. 25,000 people. Now, don't tell me for a moment that this disciple logic doesn't resonate deep in your heart. <laughs> for those of you who have prepared food, this resonates in your heart. You make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for yourself, clap for you. No big deal. Everybody can do that. You eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with another person, you might discuss Doritos. Well, you know, what chips do we need? What drinks do we need? Do we have anything in the fridge, right? If you're like Living Water, typical Living Waters family, you got 16,000 kids in your house. The conversation gets a little more complex, a little more intense, a lot more planning needed, right? All right, we're, we're talking about a crowd the size of a sold-out arena. Don't, don't get too harsh on the disciples here. We would be in the same boat looking at it. Now, he has healed all day. All he's done is heal. And yet... We are just like the disciples. We're so blind because we're just like, Jesus, make food. Say food and it'll happen. But that's not logical. We just, we see Christ healing people and we're like, yeah, but there's 25,000 people in the arena. How in the world is this going to happen? And we would start freaking out. We have fed much smaller crowds with a lot more stress at Living Waters over the years. We fed 500 community folks last November. And I can give personal testimony to how much time and energy and stress that that took to pull that off. That was an amazing amount of planning, a lot of money, and a lot of personal investment to make that event happen. We gave away 500 meals for like two and a half hours out here in the front door. 
That was 500. Right now, the Praise Banquet Committee is, is planning desserts and coffee. Sounds simple, right? Sounds simple. No, 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 no. We're, we're planning desserts and coffee for like 300. And we're talking about cheesecake. We're talking about chocolate cake. We're talking about uh, cupcakes. We're talking about chocolate of every kind. We're talking about specialty coffee drinks. Have I convinced you to sign up for Praise Banquet yet? You should. I don't care if you give a dollar or $10,000. I don't care. Just come and hang out and eat dessert with us. All right? It's going to be an amazing night. That amount of planning is stressful. We're not talking about a crowd of 500. We're not talking about a crowd of 300. We're talking about a crowd up to 25,000 people. It's logical to start planning for what to do at the end of the day. So they say, Jesus, listen to us. We don't have the resources to take care of this group. We don't have the resources. Let them provide for themselves in the market. Now, how many times is the Christian life that phrase right there? We don't have the resources to do it. Amen? How many times in the Christian life you're like, Lord, I don't have the resources to handle this problem, but here's my plan. I'd like you to do it. So many times in the Christian life, we tell Jesus what to do and we don't trust him. Ouch. We don't trust him. And so here's our logic. And then Jesus, how does he respond? He says, you give him something to eat. <laughs> Who says the Bible is not funny? This is funny. You give him something to eat. Now, this is also what makes it more funny is in the Greek, the you, you give them. That's also emphatic in the Greek. So if you put it all together, they're like, send the crowd away, Lord. And he's like, you feed them. I love it. I love Jesus. He's the best. You do it. And these guys, are, they go into panic mode. They get on their heels. And they're like, wasn't expecting that. Philip, if you read the other accounts in the Gospels, Philip is from that area. He's from that Galilean area. And so he's like checking with all the local restaurants. And he's like, hey, uh, Lord, we only have 200 days worth of labor, you know, money like available in our till. And Judas is watching it. So who knows, you know, sorry, that was for free. Um, so Philip is looking at, he's like, but how, if we spent all of our money, 200 days worth of income, what is that going to do? That, that won't even give everybody just a little. What are we going to do? We don't have any money. And then Andrew comes up and he's like, hey, I found this little kid. He's got five barley loaves and two fish, two pickled fish. That's what we got. Two pickled fish and some little barley loaves. That's what we have. So the disciples are like, we have no idea what we are going to do. And here's what Henry Blackaby says. It's just like Jesus to do this. Christ will lead you into many situations that seem impossible. But don't try to avoid those things. Stay in the middle of them, for that is where you will experience God. The key difference that appears to be impossible to us is that it is actually possible with a word from our master. Faith accepts as his divine command and steps out in a direction that only God can complete. John MacArthur said it this way. He said the disciples were in essence saying, we don't have it and we don't know where to get it. How many times have you been there in your Christian life? We don't have it and we don't know where to get it, Lord. 
We're at the end of ourselves. And this is what Jesus does when he does miracles. He not only feels compassion for the crowd, but he purposely moves people towards dependence. Total dependence. Isn't that how Jesus is all the time? So what about your life? What are those areas right now that you would say, I'm pretty close to total dependence? I don't know where to get it, and I got none of it. Could be money, could be relationships, could be salvation, could be time in the word, could be your job. You're getting pushed by your kids. You're getting pushed to places where all your logic is failing. All of your plans are failing. Everything that you've put down on the sheet is falling apart. Every single item that you wrote down is falling apart, and you're like, I don't even know what to do. That's exactly where Jesus wants you to be. Because when you're there, all eyes are on Jesus. And that leads us to the third truth. Jesus not only produces dependence, but he displays power in verses 18 through 21. Jesus said, bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down in the grass and he took five loaves, two fish. He looked up to heaven, said a blessing, and then he broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples. Disciples gave them to the crowd. They all ate and were satisfied. Twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over. So Jesus said, bring them here to me. Bring me those barley loaves. Bring me those two pickled fish. Give me those things. Watch what I can do with those things. Have the crowd all sit down. And this is the moment. All the crowd is sitting down. 25,000 people sitting in groups of five, 50, and 100. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes because he asked the disciples to go seat them. If you read the other gospel accounts, he has the disciples go sit them down. If you're Peter and you're walking out and you're telling, hey, people, I need you to sit in a group of 50 here. Just have a seat. Well, what are we doing? I think we're going to eat. What are we having? I have no idea. Sit down. 50 and 100. You have no idea what you're doing, but Jesus told you to do it, so you're obeying Jesus. And all of a sudden, picture yourself in those shoes. It answers the question, Will I obey Jesus? Will I obey him when I feel unsettled? Some of you won't obey if you feel emotionally unsettled. Some of you won't. You stop obeying Jesus when it's emotionally hard for you. And I'm telling you, you can look at this story and relate to the disciples and say, God, give me the grace to obey when I don't feel like it. Because when we feel weak and we're unsettled, and it doesn't make sense to us, that is exactly when we should obey Christ. Because Christ is Christ. And he's got us, and he knows exactly what he's doing, and his timing is right. So the power of Christ comes, and this is the, Jesus looks up to heaven, and he prays over these loaves and fish, and that's when the power of the miracle happens. He thanks God for what he's going to do. And then he just starts doing supernatural things. He starts making bread and fish. He just makes it appear because this is Jesus. He is the God of creation. He's the God who can create something out of nothing. He's the God who said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let there be 
Um, you know, all these creation things in Genesis 1, and it happens. This is Jesus. Jesus is the God-man, and he's operating in his full power of deity, and he's starting to create things. And if you're the disciples, all you know is that you're getting a handful of stuff and a basket full of food, and you're taking it out to the people. And can you imagine how long it would have taken to feed this many people? Forever. And they come back and forth, and all you know is that Jesus is doing it. That's all you know. And this is the reality of our lives. This is the reality of the miracle of who Christ is. Everybody gets to eat, and not just a little bit. They get to eat until they are satisfied. And the word satisfied there means till you can't eat anymore. That's awesome. Sign me up for that kingdom, amen? Have you ever been to those gatherings, those dinners, where people are like, hey, be careful. Don't take that much. We got to see if there's enough left over. Of course you have. We've all been to those meals. Church, churches are famous for these meals, right? Because every teenage boy ever at any church gathering is like, uh, boys, the girls get to go first. Amen. And secondly, boys, just, just one hamburger, not six. Okay? Just one hamburger. Why? Why? Because we want there to be enough for everyone. So we've all been a part of those gatherings where, where there's not enough maybe food. We want to make sure we've got enough for everybody to have some. This is not Jesus. Jesus is as much as you want. I'm going to keep it coming. Keep the bread coming. Keep the fish coming. Do you want more? And everybody in the crowd is like, I am full. I've had enough. This is Jesus. Powerful son of God. Able to provide for every need that we have. Jesus has the power to provide our daily bread, the manna that we need. Jesus has that provisional power. Jesus has the power to provide. Now think about your life. Think about what you are needing provision for right now. Don't believe that Jesus doesn't have the provision to bring your way. He absolutely has it. He has all ability to provide for your needs. For some of you, you're looking at your marriage and you're saying, Lord, do you really have the power to provide for my marriage? Do you really have the power to restore my marriage for your glory? Do you have that? The answer is yes. Do you have the power, Jesus, to provide peace in Ukraine? Do you have that power? The answer is absolutely yes. Do you have the power, Jesus, to bring revival to America and a spiritual awakening to our culture? The answer is yes. Do you have the power to save those people in our community who are lost and dark and, and, and estranged from the church? The answer is absolutely yes. Jesus, do you have the power to provide money for the missions trip that we're going on and the mission field that we're raising money for? Do you have that power, Lord? Because I'm not seeing it. The answer is yes. Do you have the power to provide all the renovation dollars to get this place up and running at this church? The answer is absolutely yes. Do you have that power, most importantly, to provide salvation for my soul and peace to my mind? A lot of talk about mental illness these days. Mental wellness, according to scripture, comes to believing that Jesus has the power to provide peace up here.
which leads to peace down here. And most importantly, Jesus, how many baskets were left over? Twelve. <laughs> twelve. Exactly twelve. Twelve baskets left over. One for who, class? One for each disciple. Each one of them that was like, logically, it would work this way. It'd be better for us to go to the cities and dismiss everyone. Every single one of them got a basket of leftovers to say to them, I'm Lord. I'm King. Trust in Jesus. The one I'm following is the Son of Man. Every, it's kind of gross, right? I, I think it'd be kind of gross. Leftover bread? Yeah. Thanks. But, but it's also really cool. You would look at that basket and you would, it would be a living testimony. Jesus, in his miracles, doesn't even waste the leftovers. <laughs> Jesus uses even the leftovers to communicate his power over all things. So, Jesus displayed the power of God. Now, as we close our service, Jesus set a table for 5,000, but maybe it was more like fifteen to 25,000. And he set the table by feeling compassion for people, by producing dependence, and then displaying the power. He did that all in a day. That's just amazing. One day he did all that. How about all in one morning at Living Waters Fellowship? How about in one morning in this congregation? Some of you need the compassion of Christ this morning. And I just want to tell you, Jesus knows you, he sees you, he loves you, he's ready to embrace you right now, right here. No matter what you've done, his mercy should lead you to repentance. His compassion should lead you to salvation. His compassion should, if you've blown it this week, it is a perfect opportunity to come back to Christ and say, Lord, I just need your compassion this morning. For some of you this morning, Jesus is producing dependence in you and you don't like it and it's super uncomfortable and you feel unsettled and you're not sure if you should keep obeying and I'm just telling you, you probably haven't reached total dependence, but that's where Jesus is leading you right here, right now. Total dependence. What is that thing? Who is that person that you have to give up to God and say, Lord Jesus, I am completely surrendering. All, all eyes are on you this morning for that miracle, for that thing. And for some of you, it's the power of God, the provisional power. Does he have provisional power to save you and take care of you? The answer is yes. Let's close our time. We're going to respond to the Lord together. Father, thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. Lord, your word is so living, so active, so powerful. God, may we take it to heart this morning. God, may you work in our lives this morning. May we come before the throne of Jesus Christ and may we recognize him for all of his glory. So Jesus, we need your compassion this morning. There's a lot of people in this audience that need compassion, just need the compassionate hand of you. Lord, would you just meet them here? May you pour your mercy out on this congregation this morning. May you just pour out your blessing, your salvation. Lord, some of us are being broken 
to complete dependence. Total, 100%. We don't have it and we don't know where to get it. So Lord, would you just break us and help us be open about that so that we can see your glory. And Lord, would you provide, may we have faith, Jesus, that you will not only see our need, but meet our need. And that you'll do it this morning. So Christ, help us to respond to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.